We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Greg Olson here to tell you about my new podcast, TE1. On the show, I had a chance to talk to my fellow tight ends who have revolutionized the position from an extra lineman to a dual threat superstar. And just like my guests have changed the game, this year, NFLSundayTicket.tv is revolutionizing your NFL viewing experience. Stream all the live out-of-market NFL games every Sunday on your favorite devices and never miss a moment from your favorite players. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code GREG88 at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. That's NFLSundayTicket.tv and the promo code GREG88. Subscribe to TE1 and get NFLSundayTicket.tv, an unmatched dual threat. Blue Wire. All right, welcome back to Big Screen Sports, the sports movie podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcast and this week presented by Thera One CBD, NFL Sunday Ticket, and our old friends at betonline.ag. Before we talk about this week's episode, we have uh, got some changes headed down to Big Screen Sports in terms of episode content. I still want to do plenty of breaking down our favorite sports movies, what we're doing today, but in the past, done some themed episodes. We've done stuff like debating who the better Willie Mays Hayes was in Major League One or Major League Two. Uh, done some listener question stuff, done stuff like ranking our top five favorite sports movies of the decade. I, I want to do some more of that stuff. That stuff is fun, uh, keeps things fresh. Head over to the Big Screen Sports Facebook group. Let me know what kind of concept episodes you'd like to hear in the future, and also vote on which sports-themed TV show you'd like me to cover, because that uh, down the road, or at least maybe by the end of the year, would like to do a rewatch. I've, I've thrown out maybe Brockmire, uh, Eastbound and Down, so if that's something you want to hear, head over to that Facebook group. Now, for today's episode, returning guest is Brian Gill from the Mad About Movies podcast. If you've been listening to Big Screen Sports for a while, you'll remember Brian. He did that five favorite sports movies of the decade episode I referenced a couple moments ago, and he was also on to talk about Field of Dreams during Oscars month. Today, we're talking a night's tale, because jousting counts as a sport. And this movie is super rewatchable. If you're like me, you probably saw this when you were a teenager and, and still love it. And it's available on Netflix for you to stream right now. We talk a, a pretty good Heath Ledger performance, young Heath Ledger. Uh, we talk an incredible Paul Bettany performance, kind of lament why we didn't get more, and, uh, and just how much living in the 1300s would suck. It's a good all-around episode. Brian is one of my favorite guys to talk movies with. Glad he returned to the pod. 
Make sure if you enjoy this one, you get that five-star rating on Apple Pods. Subscribe. You know you know the drill. Uh, do me a solid. Share it with a friend. And uh, with that, it's time to talk a night's tale. All right. Joining today's episode of Big Screen Sports, he is a returning guest. He has joined in the past to discuss his five favorite sports movies of the 2010s, as well as Field of Dreams. He is the co-host of Mad About Movies and Spread the Floor Brian Gill. Brian, thanks for returning to Big Screen Sports, man. Yeah, dude. Thanks for having me. It's always fun to be here. I appreciate it. Of course. I am. We, we get to discuss one of my favorites. I think a movie you you enjoy a lot as well tonight. But uh, first, tell the folks where they can find Mad About Movies and spread the floor. Yeah, we are on uh, Mad About Movies. We've been going for seven plus years. I guess we're actually closer to eight years. We just did our 650th episode uh, a week or so ago. So we have been out there for for quite a while. Uh, spread the f- and it's it's a movie podcast. We talk about the whatever is new in theaters when theaters were a thing. So now it's just mad about streaming until one day, hopefully, eventually we can get back to theaters. Uh, we just try to talk about a new movie every week, and then each week on our our Patreon feed we we do a throwback episode as well. And then spread the floors basketball podcast. I started with my buddy Tobin, who has been on a few uh, mad about movies episodes. Um, yeah, we just, every week we talk, we talk basketball, we talk about the, the, the NBA and the happenings that are, that are going on and stuff. So it's been pretty exciting for us these last few weeks to finally have, uh, some games and some content to talk about. Uh, all right. Well, Brian, I, I'm glad you're back on the pod. You're one of my favorite guys to talk movies with, and we're talking just simply one of my favorites, one of my most enjoyable, rewatchable movies. We are talking a night's tale. I'll be a knight. Yes, William. If he believes it enough, a man can do anything. We could do this. In one month, we could be on our way to glory and riches none of us ever dreamed of. You can't even joust. I think he's getting worse. He is getting worse. I won't spend the rest of my life as nothing. You have to be of noble birth to compete. So we lie. My lords! My ladies! Nay, the pleasure of introducing to you a knight sired by knights. William Thatcher didn't make the rules. He was born. I've waited my whole life for this moment to break them. A Knight's Tale is the 2001 jousting action movie. After his master dies, a peasant squire, fueled by his desire for food and glory, creates a new identity for himself as a knight. It starred Heath Ledger, Mark Addy, Rufus Sewell, Alan Tudyk, Sharon, Shannon Sossaman, and Paul Bettany. It was written and directed by Brian Helgeland, uh, same guy who did screenplays for L.A. Confidential, Mystic River, and Man on Fire. It's a, that's like, but between this and those three, that's like four movies that I, I am very, very fond of. Uh, it got a 58% on Rotten Tomatoes, grossed $117.5 million worldwide. Right off the bat, Brian, for you, this one, is it a Hall of Fame all-star starter or bench warmer sports movie. For me, it's like an all-star movie. It's one that I uh, I have enjoyed multiple times. I've enjoyed it for a long time. This was on my I think for episode like three or four hundred. I don't remember anymore. We we did uh, our top ten guilty pleasures, and we define that as a movie that is rotten on Rotten Tomatoes because otherwise it's you know it's nebulous. It's hard to figure that out. So that's that's the rule we went with. I was very surprised to see that this one was not as well respected as uh as i thought it was so um when i saw that it was sub 60 percent on rotten tomatoes like oh cool i can add that to the list movie that i watch a lot i think is a fun background movie um 
it's you know there's flaws it's way too long maybe that's the maybe the biggest one for me it's like two hours and 15 minutes and it it seems like a movie that should be 90 minutes but uh but otherwise man yeah i think this is just it's a it's a super fun movie and so i i i put it in that in that all-star category sure i'll go out on a limb let's do it (laughs) you're right in that it's a great background movie i mean like for me personally especially after doing my rewatch i I want to call it a Hall of Famer just because I love it. I'm very fond of it. I watched it in my early teens, and I still enjoy it now. It is probably an all-star. Like you said, it is a little too long, but it is it is very rewatchable. It has a ton of fun scenes. I think I think a lot of people also, you look at the the modernization of the movie, and, and if, if you're looking at it, I think, from the wrong light, you could say, oh, that's corny. But, um, you know, it's kind of like a movie that we talked about a couple months ago, Field of Dreams. If you don't buy into what that movie's trying to do, you're not going to like it. But I, I full on love this one. It's a great friendship movie. It's a great cast, uh, great chemistry. There's a legitimate emotional attachment to the characters. I am, I'm just very, very fond of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's got a lot of aspects that make it a good sports movie. Uh, you can argue that this is the the Middle Ages version of Rocky and that it is more rewatchable than Rocky. I, I would agree with that, yeah. It's not a better movie by by maybe not long stretches, movie, no. but but it's... I agree with the idea that it's more rewatchable. This is... Rocky's not as rewatchable for those of us that are sub-50 as, as it is for... As, as as the older generation might might uh, want to think, I'm not I'm not casting stones at Rocky. Rocky's a great movie, but I'll rewatch Creed five times a year and Rocky once every three years, something like that. I was gonna say like Creed is so much faster mm-hmm. paced and just much of an easier watch than Rocky. Rocky is very slow yeah. until you get to the fight. For sure, very very slow. For sure. Like I've you know beating up the meat and catching the chicken and stuff like that's great. <laughs> but I, I would rather watch a night's tale, honestly. Yeah. Um, it, the, some other aspects make it a sports movie. It's got a great charismatic protagonist with an origin story that you, you want to root for a squire with no money. who hasn't seen his father in 12 years. Like that's my dude. Yeah, Let's go. For sure. Let's win all the jousting matches. <laughs> yes. Yes. What did you have any, like what else do you think makes this one an actual sports movie? Well, it has a whole soundtrack that's basically jock jams, so I think that, oh, that qualifies. Um, any movie that has uh, We Will Rock You or We Are the Champions in it, I think qualifies by default, except for Bohemian Rhapsody, obviously, um, <laughs> which uh, is, is anyway. But yeah, the, the I think I think that helps. It's It's got that kind of, I mean, the anachronistic soundtrack is a big either selling point or or detriment, if, if you want to go that route, I guess. it's It works for me, but... Um, it works for me as well. It does a great job. I think the movie does a great job of 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 picking. It's they're certainly not picking uh, unique or original songs. For There's these no things. deep cuts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No deep cuts. Yeah, not a lot of a lot of B sides going on, but but they all work within the context. I think, and then it's just when you when you pump in the music like that. I mean, you totally have that feeling of like, oh yeah, this this. This maybe in the traditional sense, maybe not a sports movie, but jousting is the sport of uh, of the 1400s. So I, I think I feel like that's it, it qualifies for sure. Exactly. This is a good bit in the IMDb trivia about the the background for the music selection. Um, it's got a great foil, <laughs> great bad guy. 
uh, sports movie. You, you need someone to root against. This movie has that. Uh, and then you get a ton of jousting action. <laughs> like if, if you're a, j- a big jousting fan, this movie is great for you. Yeah, big time. Yeah. And there's not a lot of those movies, you know? So it's... That it's is true. Not there's nothing to compete movies. against. That's right. That's yeah. right. Um, the, the cast in this one, the, especially like in hindsight, the casting is just impeccable. Mm-hmm. You have great character actors and then you have... Um, I mean, Heath Ledger, who just like in his short career is a v- iconic, legendary actor. Mm. I mean, you have an Oscar winner. This is the first time that he's someone gave him a vehicle to star in. He opens to U.S. audiences with 10 things, then The Patriot and then this for you or any of those on his Mount Rushmore. I saw this question on the run sheet, man, and I was like. You know, you're you're reminding me. I was like, well, obviously, Dark Knight and uh, and Brokeback Mountain. That's one and two on the Mount Rushmore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are the easy picks. Yeah, for sure. And so, for, and then in my brain, I was like, I mean, I love a Knight's Tale, but surely there are other movies that 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 this dude did that uh, that that would qualify above that, just from a prestige standpoint. If nothing, I mean, it's not like this was a huge hit or anything. So, um, I think Ten Things I Hate About You gets that third spot. And and I don't know if that shows my age or not, but I I know I know everybody in my age demographic, and we've said before I'm a little bit older than you, but that is that was a huge movie for for people in my age group, and I think kind of I don't know that it put him on the map, but it certainly established his charisma, not just his his uh, acting chops, I guess. Maybe I mean that's a hundred percent what he's bringing, what he is there for in that movie. He is bringing right. the the raw teenage sexual charisma. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, and he looks older too. And I I don't even know how old he was at that time. It, I don't know if it was a classic like, well, he's playing a sixteen year old, but he's actually twenty nine or something like that. It, I don't think it was that that to that degree. But the the. Uh, I think part of what makes that role work so well for him is is how much it's partly that he he just feels cooler, but he's also he just feels older than everybody else. So he kind of has this sort of I bet he was held back kind of thing going, and it's just like man, that guy's cool. But um, anyway, so I think that one takes a third spot. And so I went in thinking, ah, eh, there's probably another movie. But then you look at his his filmography, and it super sucks because obviously he's one of the one of the more talented actors of his generation. And, you know, we all know how that, how it has ended for him. Tragically, it really super sucks. And he only has like 23 credits to his name. So it's, it's kind of slim pickings if you really want to get into it, if there's something that could, that can knock off a knight's tale. So for me, this, this goes on, that takes that fourth spot on, uh, on the Mount Rushmore. Um, and I don't, I don't really know what the competition would be. I mean, I like Patriot fine. I, I don't, you know, that's okay. Yeah, it, Patriot was something I saw when I was really young, uh-huh. and it, it was like the first, I think, one of the first serious R-rated movies I saw, mm-hmm. and for that reason, I was like, oh, this is an amazing movie. This is really good, and now, like, it's just okay. It's another movie that's probably a little too long, very mm-hmm. historically inaccurate. For sure. Um, I really like Lords of Dogtown. That's not a ledger vehicle. Uh, yeah, he's very, sure. he's good in it, but it's not, you don't you don't think of him in that movie. I think you, you first think of like Emile Hirsch. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the movie he was working on, have you seen the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus? I was going to say, man, that might be, that might've been the next one on the list. I'm not a, I'm not a Terry, Terry Gilliam guy, but when every once in a while, it's like every 10 years, if you look back over the history of Gilliam's career, it's like every 10 years or so, he does one and you're like, oh, okay. He kind of, he, he, he sort of channeled his, insanity his weirdness i don't know whatever it is that drives terry gilliam 
Um, he kind of channels that in that movie. And I actually think that movie's really good. Now I've only seen it. I maybe only saw it the one time right after it came out on, uh, on in theaters or DVD or, or whatever. Um, and then the, the, the guys that step into his role to Heath Ledger's role to take over when he's in the, the, the dreamland or whatever, which was like, it was, oh man, it was Farrell and Depp. Farrell Depp and Jude Law. Jude Law. There we go. There and we that's, go. it's a good time to get all, I mean, it's a tragic to, mm-hmm. they, you know, they're only stepping in, but you get Depp before things, the train <laughs> kind of starts going off sure. the tracks. You get Farrell when the tra- the train's coming back on the tracks, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is, it's a, it's a really good, and you get Law just kind of, just a steady, slow train. Right. He, he's, right. he's, you know, what he is, but. I mean, I, I enjoy it, but I, I would put this, I think of this more when I think of Heath Ledger. Same. Uh, yeah. Before we, you know, before we get into everything else in the movie, I want to talk about a, a Mount Rushmore that isn't, isn't what I thought it would be when I saw this movie, because Paul Bettany is in this <laughs> movie, like, I, I think I tweeted this, that like, you if you watch this movie in 2001, you wonder in 2020, is Paul Bettany going to have three Oscars or is he going to have four? <laughs> and he doesn't really have any. I would say that Paul Bettany's best movie came out in 2003. Now, that depends how you feel about the Marvel movies and like Age of Ultron mm-hmm. and, and Civil War and stuff. His appearance as a voice in the Marvel movies, but like... I love Master Commander. I think Master and Commander is excellent. I love him in it. I also love him in this. I don't know why things went the way they went. That is a that's the question with him. Uh, it's I love Paul Bettany in this movie so much, and I imagine that will be most of the the remaining time that we have on this podcast because I know <laughs> you're in sure. the same boat. I love Paul Bettany in this movie, and it's one of my would would I say that 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 a Knight's Tale is is was even in consideration for like my top ten favorite movies? Absolutely not. Would I say that Paul Bettany in this movie is is in that consideration? Maybe, maybe so. Like it's just it's a really fun performance, and it's like the last time he's ever had fun on screen. It's 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 like since this point he has made it his mission to be somewhat torturous on screen and therefore feel like he must be uh experiencing torture behind the scenes like his role in um oh what's in in the da vinci code is like silas yeah uh... exactly it's like the perfect perfect example of a paul bettany movie and what i what i feel like his whole thing is period like the whole bit of like i'm gonna beat myself with this whip and then belt and stuff is like well, that kind of feels like a microcosm for his whole career because it he keeps on taking these roles where it's like, why did you do that? Why is Paul Bettany starring in Priest? Dude. Like, why did he do? <laughs> why did Paul Bettany have to do Priest ten years after this? Like, he should have. Why has no one given him an Oscar vehicle yet? I, I, I really just I don't understand why it didn't all come together because Pre- it, it's not like it's not like he hasn't been working. He's yeah. probably doing very well financially. Oh, for sure, Priest and Legion within a two year span, man. Like that is oh, a God. that's a tough one two combination. Basically the same movie and they're both terrible. And it's and and it's uh and that that's and that's those are the movies that he kind of cashed his chips in on in a weird in a weird way. You know, maybe he doesn't care. Maybe he's like, I'm making bank from the Marvel movies, and so it is what it is, but I don't know. He just seems kind of miserable on screen all the time now. And then you watch you watch this movie, you're just like, dude, 
this was awesome. You were having fun. Wasn't it fun to have fun? Didn't you want to not be tortured for the rest of your career? But man, he seems insistent on it. It's, it's very odd. It's, it's just wild. Um, okay. Let's roll into the IMDB trivia. I only grabbed a few things. Uh, and a lot of them are Paul Bettany related. When Chaucer first uh, introduces Sir Ulrich in his speech, the crowd doesn't react because the Czech extras didn't understand it. Mark Addy's loud, loud prompt tipped them off to start cheering. The awkward <laughs> moment was left in because it made the scene funnier, which is very true. Yes! Behold, my Lord Ulrich! The rock! The hard place! Like a wind from Geldland, he sweeps by, blown far from his homeland in search of glory and honor. We walk in the garden of his turbulence. Yeah! The uh, the director Brian Helgeland uh, once said in an interview that he used modern music in the movie to show modern audiences what people then felt about their music. When true Renaissance music is used in modern movies, it fails to convey the emotional response that people back then had to such music. I think this movie would be far worse if it had like if it had tried to do this with Renaissance mm-hmm. era music. I a hundred percent agree. It's it gets a ton of crap for that. It did at the time, and if you go back and you look at the Rotten Tomatoes reviews and stuff. It's not like universal if if the person if the reviewer gave the critic gave it a, a rotten review then they they bring up the music thing but but it's pretty close it it feels like and so it, maybe it's one of those things that either works for you or it doesn't but I I am totally with you this this becomes super cheesy and super melodramatic um, if you if you don't kind of play into the anachronisms of that and and make it fun and even if you even if you made this exact same movie, I think at least, if you made this exact same movie but you had period-appropriate music or just you know a basic score in the background, whatever it's going to be, I think it would feel stupid. I don't know. There's just something about that the the Jock Jam soundtrack that that works for the for what this movie is trying to accomplish. I think it changes the tone of the movie in a much worse way if you if you pull out the Renaissance music. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A couple of Jeffrey Chaucer-related things. Uh, at the end, he says, I think I'll write this down. The Knight's Tale is the title of the first chapter in the Canterbury Tales, and there was a period of about a year in Chaucer's life when historians have no records of what happened to him. This film is supposed to be set at that year. Like, Jeffrey Chaucer just had his gambling problem and, and hooked up with William and Co. Mm-hmm. Last one I had is plenty of effort was ex- was expanded creating lances that would splinter convincingly without taking out the stunt riders as well. <laughs> the body of each lance was scored so it would break easily and the tips were made of balsa wood. Each was also hollowed out and the hole filled with balsa chips and uncooked linguine to make convincing <laughs> splinters, which worked. Like, I've never seen a lance yeah. break in real life, but that, that seemed real realistic to me. Yeah, yeah. It was great. <laughs> Um, okay, let's get into best scene. I do these chronologically. If I miss one of your favorites, by all means, interrupt me, <laughs> let me know. The first thing I've got, uh, besides just the uh, the we will rock you mm-hmm. part, I, I really enjoy the we will rock you. I've got a thing <laughs> on that later. But um, it, as far as actual scene, Chaucer's intro, when they meet him uh, naked, stripped on the road. What are you doing? Uh, trudging. You know, trudging, to trudge, to trudge the slow, weary, depressing, yet determined walk of a man who has nothing left in his life except the impulse to simply soldier up. 
it's uh it's very clear like right away like oh paul bettany mm-hmm. really good at this really good at this <laughs> yeah. whole thing going quite for a, it. an introduction for a character and i believe that was the first thing they shot too if i if i read that correctly uh looking through the notes too that was in the yeah. imdb yeah in front of a bunch <laughs> of extras yeah yeah it's uh it's it's crazy it's it's a it's a really funny scene for sure and part of a, th- a thing that scene does well is it explains the patent, uh, the patents of nobility thing. This movie does a lot of because basically you you go into it, you don't know anything about the structure of the sport of jousting or the rules or anything like that, and it has to educate you but not be super heavy handed with it, and it does it really well in like. Paul Bettany explaining that you have to prove how royal you are and stuff like that. And then it's very realistic that Adamar is mansplaining <laughs> the rules to, uh, to, to Jocelyn. Like they, they fit all that stuff in very yeah, well. Sure, I thought for sure. Yeah. That's, that's, it's very well done on that front. Yeah. The next scene I've got is the first tournament. And I, I wrote that down. I, I wrote down the first tournament and then I'm watching it. I'm like, this isn't like just one scene. Like this is an act. So much happens in this tournament, he meets Jocelyn. He goes into the church with his horse. Uh, you find out Chaucer has a gambling problem. William wins the sword. You get a multiple of Chaucer's intros. Uh, and then I, I kind of, I split that up in with the Ulrich, or William, I guess, and Adamar matching up in the first tournament. I think those are separate scenes, but it's the the whole first tournament, you you get a mm-hmm. lot of action. Yeah, it lays the groundwork for what they're doing. There, there are times in this movie, I mentioned kind of off the top, I think it's too long, and there, there are segments that maybe you shave a little here or you cut entirely, maybe, um, but that's one that it's very well paced. It's done, I think, quite efficiently to convey a ton of information and then really show you where, who all these characters are, not just in like the events of their life, but like who they are as people internally, you know, what their, what their character is, I guess. Um, and then, and, and then kind of lay the groundwork for where we go toward, you know, towards the end. We set you up with, with Adam R really well, right? Like it's, it's very clear, if you've seen five movies, you know, all right, at the end of this, these two are matching up. That's the way this goes. And so, <laughs> you know, about 30 seconds in, oh, that's the bad <laughs> Yeah, guy. exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And he just had, Rufus uh, Sewell has, has the look, man. Like he just, he looks like oh, a creepy guy. Oh, for sure. I wonder if he's like a really nice guy in real life. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he just, he just does not, not come off that for way sure. in the movies. Yeah. Uh, you also, it's, it's when you first get, um, Chaucer's intros and like Bettany is bringing the showmanship to the table. You get a clear look at that. And it is, it is fantastic because it comes out of nowhere in the first joust when he does the thing about like protector of Italian virginity. And I saw him stay silent for a year. It's just amazing. (laughs) Yes. Yes. All of his, his, uh, his monologues and his intros and stuff. It is just I, I, I would like to know how much of it was fully on page and how much was, was uh, I don't know that I know of Paul Bettany as a great improver, but man, he's, he, there's so much life and passion behind the, some of those words. I, I do kind of wonder, was, was some of that left up to him? Did he, did he play it up a little bit? Um, I would love to see like the, the B roll or all the stuff on the cutting room floor. He chews up the scenery. <laughs> so like he, I mean, he knows, they basically tell him, like, you could go for it. Mm-hmm. Like, this is all about you right now, and he he goes for every single inch of it. It is 
it is really good. You also get a lot of jousting action in the in the first term. Like there's there's a ton of it. Adamar literally knocks William back 15 years. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's impressive. I mean, and that all still after I didn't realize it was after the first tournament that you get the banquet scene, which is my next my next scene. I'm including the dance lessons mm-hmm. in the banquet scene. Okay, sure, sure. And then that goes into obviously the the iconic the David Bowie the Golden Years dance. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which again, it's it's on paper. Does that work? I don't think so. But in execution, okay, yeah, it, it plays pretty well. I'm with it. <laughs> yeah, but if, if you're watching that, if you're watching that scene and they put on this cheesy Renaissance song that you've never seen, you've got some minstrels in the corner or whatever, like. It is not going to be as enjoyable because by that time you're bought into the music. You've already heard We Will Rock You and all the other stuff. (laughs) So you're bought in. So when David Bowie shows up, you're just like, hey, we're going to go with this. It's fun. Everyone knows this choreographed dance. Look, Heath Ledger and Shannon Sossaman, two young, really attractive people have a lot of charisma. Let's watch this work. Sure. Uh, you, you also get Adamar watching his attempt at being a shit stirrer go really south really quick. <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Not, did not go the way he thought it was been, going to. Yeah. <laughs> every guy has been at the dance watching his crush dance with some other dude just like super pissed standing by the punch bowl. <laughs> yes, absolutely. That's all of us at all of us at prom. Um, then uh, that goes into when they, they write the love letter, the, the next scene I've got. Which I, at first I wasn't going to include this, but I think it's actually a really good touch. It probably cemented a love of Heath Ledger for like many a young woman. (laughs) Uh, But you get everyone in the crew sharing memories of a lost love. Because until that point, you don't, you don't really have a whole lot on everyone else and like their life outside of William and outside of this kind of scheme that they're pulling off. Like you even let Kate, the blacksmith have a little backstory. She's got the dead husband. Mm -hmm. She's still teaching these idiots how to understand women. It's, it's a, and it's a funny scene watching like these three guys who have talked to very few women in their life, like try to write a love letter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's not my favorite scene, but it's mostly just because of pacing. Like by that point you're, you're totally right. Like the, the the backgrounds that you get on the on the characters and such, I think that's valuable to to furthering like the relationship between these guys and and the the way this crew works and whatnot. Um, that scene goes on forever, and it feels like it, it's kind of there to serve the purpose of then in the next scene or or not too much longer after that when he's face to face with her and he can't replicate this this you know poetry and whatnot and so it, it seems like a bit of a, a pointer scene so that you get the the humor of uh, uh your breasts you know and that the way that that goes down <laughs> maybe him, a so. little bit higher sure than her breasts sure. yeah exactly. that's, that's true it is it is part of the movie that drags that is a very uh the very fair point for sure the um the next scene i have i brian i i'm gonna say i'm including this one because you like me are a father <laughs> and you like me are a crier, yeah. <laughs> and the the flashback of William being introduced to Sir Ector and the goodbye with his father, like that hits me a lot different now than it did in two thousand one. Sure, yeah, and then it, the the one that gets me is right that comes right after that is when he you know he actually is reunited with his father. Like those two scenes are are maybe not back to back, but they're close. close they're pretty enough. much pretty much back to back because that's the next one on my sure. list. Sure, and the the 
there's another scene that that if if you don't mention here in a bit, then I certainly will. Is the one that I I remember the most, and is the one that that gets me um, in in the, the the feelings, I guess, and gets you know really really works for me on an emotional standpoint. And so that's the one I kind of think about when I sat down to watch and I, and I tell last night I was like, oh man, that sequence is gonna is gonna kill me. It's gonna be awesome, but I'm definitely gonna I'm gonna cry. And then I kind of forget about the separation then reuniting with his father and how emotional that is when, um, you know, his blind dad is like, did, did my son, you know, did, did he find his way home? And I have word, Master Thatcher. Word of your son. Are you with you? Come in, sir. What word? Does he live? Aye, he lives. He is very well. He wanted you to know that he changed his styles after all. And has he followed his feet? He found his way home at last. Yes. All that sort of stuff. Yeah, definitely. That definitely gets you differently as as a dad than it did. Um, you know, I was, I think I was 17, 18 when this movie came out. So def, definitely a different feeling, um, in those moments than, than it was first go round for sure. It's a great father, son cry moment. And then that moment, unfortunately is like right away is like, Oh, Adamar finds him out, which like, he, he's definitely some galaxy brain stuff going from like, <laughs> okay, I followed him sure. to this random guy's house, but I'm just going to assume that he's, he's illegal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that, that turns into that scene of everyone begging William to run, which is a, which is kind of a great moment in, in a weird way. kind of, you know, you see that, uh, that Jocelyn is really here for him. Jocelyn is ready to live with the pigs, mm-hmm. live in, live in pig shit. Uh, the last scene I've got is I mean, and it's a cop out. Every every sports movie, the final joust, uh, the latch it to me arm is absolutely the cut my eye moment. Like <laughs> pulled it directly from Rocky. Uh, but because of that, you get Bettany doing his final his final thing. You get the Sir William Thatcher moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's it's a good it's a good moment. You a hundred percent know it was coming. Sure. There was no, yeah, yeah. there was nothing surprising about that last joust. <laughs> right, right. Did yeah. I miss any of your so favorite you, scenes? You did, you did. My favorite scene in the movie, and that all those are great. And then the way that it ends, it's it's perfect. I think the scene with him, with uh, with William and and Prince Edward, is like the best scene in the movie. I love it. Oh, I think the, it's uh, so when he's cool. when he's locked when, up. Yeah, when he when he's in the, the stocks or or whatever that's called. Um, I don't know ton of medieval weaponry and torture history so sorry um <laughs> but when he when he's locked up and and the crowd's throwing lettuce at him and everything and and then you know out out of the crowd comes comes prince edward and he he has that whole thing of he i think that guy is such an underrated actor and i uh, james purifoy is his name and and i, I go every 
every once in a while I'm reminded of his existence and I go and I check his IMDb like maybe I missed something cool that he's been in and you're just kind of looking through like nope nope it's mostly not great it's just it's just kind of I don't know if you watched the following but just (laughs) seeing his face terrifies me yeah yeah that show was not great but like he was terrifying yeah, in it. yeah he that's exactly how i felt watching i didn't watch all that show that was one i dropped off of after a little bit but i was like man he's really good Same. this is not the type of show that i i want really in my life but but he's very very good at this but i just think he's better than what his uh than how his career has gone to this point but that scene that with, seems to be a theme of this movie oh for for sure for sure but yeah but like him him getting down on his knees and talking to to william and i think the line this is maybe this is jumping into the next segment but the the line he says is, your men love you, and if I knew nothing else about you, that would be enough. I always, that always gives me the goosebumps. I just think it's such a really, it's che- like on the page, right? Like that's a cheesy line or or sort of monologue that he delivers there. But um, but I think it's delivered really well, and it, the, the, uh, the, the movie, the way it's staged and whatnot and framing of the shot and all this stuff, it works really well. And so I think that sequence is awesome. What a pair we make, Both trying to hide who we are. Both unable to do so. Your men love you. If I knew nothing else about you, that would be enough. But you also tilt when you should withdraw. And that is nightly too. And that's the, for, I guess probably the first thing I think of when it's like, Hey, am I going to fire up a knight's tale? It's like, okay, the jousting. That's the first thing that jumps to mind for me. The second thing that jumps to mind is that sequence with, with him, um, letting him out of the stocks and then, and then knighting him kind of right there on the spot and pulling some, some hardcore, like, uh, <laughs> old school English monarchy type thing of like, yeah, my uh, my historians looked and uh, and they said this guy used to, is comes from a long line of of uh, royals. So uh, yeah, this it is what it is. You're gonna have to trust me. Like I I think that's a really funny bit. Yeah, that goes to something I had uh, I had written down for you later, but I guess I'll ask now. Question for you: Did Prince Edward make all that shit up? <laughs> for sure. Because <laughs> sure yeah. my personal my personal historians, <laughs> aka some shit yeah. I made up on oh, the spot. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Like it's his delivery on that so funny. Basically, like call my bluff. Anyone gonna call my bluff? It reminds me of like uh, of uh, the Office when when Pam. When they get bought by by Saber and Pam, just like, oh, I got promoted to office manager right before this all went down, and the paperwork got lost, and she's just staring at Gabe like, I go on, say that I'm lying. I dare you to say I'm lying. It's very much that, except except he's creepy and was a serial killer in another show, so it's a, it's a lot more intimidating than than uh, <laughs> than Pam Beasley is. But but uh, yeah, no, I I think I, he's absolutely full of it there, no question. But I love it. That's a hundred percent. If you're, if you're not just, gonna, like, yeah, if you're not going to, uh, if you're not going to be corrupt for the right reasons, then what's the point of being a, uh, an English monarch? You know, that's that, at exactly. Least in my mind. Yeah. And he's just, he's literally just like, hey, this is a good dude. He helped me out once. Like, sure, <laughs> yeah. I'll change his life right. completely. Right. And, right. This and is no, this is no, no sweat off my back whatsoever. Yeah. Totally. Totally. 
Also, you want to know how bad the 1300s were? <laughs> I was doing like some Wikipedia on this, and that guy, Edward the Black Prince, like cream of the crop, so <laughs> powerful that he could literally get someone out of the stockade and turn them into royalty. Yeah. You know how he yeah. died? Dysentery <laughs> when he was 45. <laughs> several years, sorry, this is a total aside, but several years ago, somebody shared with me a like, uh, it was like a death log basically for. I want to say it was New York City in, you know, whatever year, 1861 or whatever. It doesn't matter. Just some random old death log. And it was like, here's a list of how everybody died. And it's, you know, murders and and uh, you, you said dysentery and all these other things. And then there's like <laughs> three deaths. And then the thing next to it is teeth. And I was like, oh, no, I don't want to die of teeth, man. That's that's as bad as it gets, I think. I just, I, I don't want to die because my tooth hurts. That's that's no no fun whatsoever. So, anyway. It so. goes back to that, like, question, like, would you rather be, live like a normal person now or be a millionaire in such and such decade? And <laughs> right, any, right. any decade that you could die of teeth is like, yeah, nah, yeah, I'll take, no, we got a better now. I'll take being sure. a Joe Schmo in the, uh, in the present. I have to say, it is it is very difficult for me to uh, to pick a favorite scene. Um, it is, it's like moments for me. Uh, it is like the moment you, you said is very tough to pick against. I, I really, I almost want to pick, uh, Chaucer's first joust intro is like my favorite mm. moment, favorite scene of the movie. It is, I am smiling the whole time. It is very much enjoyable. Yeah. That's a, all of his, all of his sequences are really good, but I agree with you. The, the first one and the last one are top notch for sure. Absolutely. Let's take a quick ad break and get back with Best Quote. Big Screen Sports is brought to you by TheraOne CBD. From tight muscles, tough workouts, signs of aging, to simply making it through each busy day, everyone understands what it feels like to be tense and sore. So everyone can benefit from TheraOne CBD products. Started by Dr. Jason Worsland, TheraBody exists to provide you with the best scientifically validated natural solutions to help soothe your body and relax your mind. TheraOne and Dr. Jason are bringing you CBD products done right. I know there's a lot out there on the market. A lot of CBD products claim organic but still contain up to 30% filler, and these fillers are potentially toxic. I know everyone is looking for something to help them sleep better, relieve stress, whatever. Use TheraOne products in your morning routine. Uh, there's massage oil to recover, body balm for targeted relief. They have stuff for sleep aids. It's got everything you need as your, your intro to CBD. And now through Labor Day, which is Monday, September 7th, TheraOne is offering our listeners a buy one, get one free for all TheraOne products. But you got to go to theragun.com slash bluewire. If you don't love what you get from TheraOne, send it back for full refund within 30 days of purchase. This is not something TheraOne is likely to do again. Buy one, get one free at theragun.com slash bluewire, but only until Labor Day. Go to right now. Go to theragun.com slash bluewire. Big Screen Sports is also brought to you by NFL Sunday Ticket. What what do I need to say about NFL Sunday Ticket? It is the only way to watch football in the 21st century. We finally have NFL football as of now coming back with NFL Sunday Ticket.tv. You can stream every live out-of-market game every Sunday afternoon your favorite devices, plus Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. If my favorite team is not on, which is the Cowboys, I am always watching Red Zone. Red Zone is the best thing to ever happen to football. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. 
All right, we're back. Best quote for this one. Best quote for me is tough because if for me, like best quote would be every time Chaucer is bringing <laughs> is is introducing William to the crowd. Those are all fantastic. Do you have like a clear winner for what your best quote is? There's something that easily stands out. You mentioned that Prince Edward line. That one's probably my favorite. I don't know if it's the best one, but I just think that's it's in the midst of this whole little little uh, monologue that he gives to, and I think the whole monologue's good. But that's the line that I think I think sticks out. Um, other than that, it's probably for me, it's probably Chaucer's last intro, and that's not really a quote; it's a whole paragraph. But ending with you know that he you know he, here he is, one of your own, born a stone's throw away from here, and and the son of John Thatcher and all this to introduce him as William Thatcher and stuff. That's the most sports movie moment to me of the whole movie. It's, it's, it's uh like to, to have the, to get the, the adrenaline boost that you're going to get from finally having your, your, yourself introduced by your real name instead of this fake name that you, you made up and stuff and your dad's here and all that stuff. Like, Oh yeah, that's, that's some that, that's some Rocky in the corner with Creed, you know, you're Creed and all that sort of stuff that maybe maybe one notch down from that because I'm not crying just talking about it. But it's yeah, it's up there, man. It's, it's really good. The dopamine hits when he says uh, <laughs> Sir real, William Thatcher. Real. I mean, like all of all of them are so good. Like the the Chaucer, the, I mentioned it earlier, but when, in Greece, he spent a year in silence just to better understand the sound of a whisper. Like, <laughs> it's just, again, it's just like they put it, they were just like, hey, Paul, just chew up every little bit of scenery. Just yes, go for it. Absolutely. Uh, two, I want to, two quotes I, I just want to mention. Something that like a lot of people mention when you, you talk about this movie is just the, it's called a Lance Hello. Better a silly girl with a flower than a silly boy with a horse and a stick. Goodbye, then. It's called a lance. Hello? A lance, excuse me, uh, with Alan Tudyk's British. And then um, when they're, they're doing the bet, with the Frenchman and they're just like needling Mark Addy, trying to get him to, to take the bet. And they've, you know, they finally say, uh, you know, the Pope is French. And he said, well, the Pope may be French, but Jesus is English. You're on. <laughs> I always love that. Yes. Yes. That's very good. Um, I have a category that that's not on the run sheet that I, I didn't include. So I'm going to walk you through this mm-hmm. one. I've got some nominees for it. Best use of seventies music. <laughs> My nominations, we've got We Will Rock You in the intro. Uh-huh. We've got Lowrider for the training sequence, Golden Years for the banquet. The boys are back in town when they return to London, which is like so on the nose. It <laughs> so hurts. So on the nose. Oh, man. That's... And you shook me all night long going into the credits. Um, You know, the only one that they're missing from this is is the stroke. The stroke definitely needed to be used at some point in this movie, I feel like. I'm glad they didn't use, I, and I, I don't think they did. I'm glad they didn't use Rock and Roll Part 2. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't yeah, think Yeah, I don't did. think so. That's the, We reserve that for Joker and such. Um, <laughs> so, but the stroke really would have put it put it over the top, I think, if you go into a couple of I probably go with the low, I think Lowrider is a really good song. It's been super overplayed at this point, but... That's a cool song, and it works well in a montage sequence. And it's not quite as on the nose as uh, good, good gracious boys are back in town. Like that <laughs> when one is rolling into London. Yeah, 
that's one of the the spots in the movie where you're like, if if a, if you're watching it and you're like, nope, I'm out. I totally understand. Like that is so so on the nose. No nuance to that whatsoever. But this yeah. was a big period for Lowrider because I'm. I think <laughs> Gone in sixty seconds came out around this time mm-hmm. too. Lowrider mm-hmm. has a moment in that movie, yeah. which it, that's another movie that like I just can't quit it. It's. I'm with you. That was. I think that was on my guilty pleasure list too. Um. It was in a, uh, that song was in a commercial. It was probably a Bud commercial or a beer commercial of some kind, but it was a, I, I think there were like dogs driving a, a, a Cadillac or something. And, and then I, I very distinctly remember that. So I, now I'm going to, now it's going to drive me crazy. I'm gonna have to go back and look, look on YouTube after we're done recording. But, um, and then it was like everywhere for a few years again. It's funny how that works sometimes where it's like, this song's been out there for 25 years and. No, everyone's kind of forgotten it, and then it shows up once, and every single director uh, studio is like, "Oh, we gotta, we gotta find a way to use that song now. It's hot, you know." It's I funny. always think like, are do songs like do their rights just get cheap at a certain point, and studios like, sure. "Oh, we gotta buy, buy, buy." <laughs> sure, yeah. Uh, to me, the best use, I really like. It's corny, like I will, but the "We Will Rock You" in the intro sets the tone. It, it's the perfect song to set the tone to give you exactly like if they would have used a deeper cut rock song, mm-hmm. but they go with the a very like on the nose. Okay, you're at a sporting event. The crowd <laughs> is doing the you know the clap clap bang or whatever. Right. Like it is, it was very necessary, and it like when I watched it last night or whenever I did my rewatch, it kind of like it geared me up a little bit. Like I was like, okay, yeah, this is what this movie's about. Like they're not trying to, it's not trying to be a period piece. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's like a modern, it's like a modern story. I really, I, I enjoy it, but all the, all the seventies music, except maybe the boys are back and down, which is just, <laughs> I just wonder if there was something else out there that would have been a little, Oh man! Just like yeah. I, I started laughing when it came. Yeah, on. I did too. Oh, I, well, I, I went oof. I made an out, an audible <laughs> oof at one o'clock in the morning. I was sitting on my couch, just like oh, I don't know. That's I don't know that that plays. That that's very uh, that that's uh, oh uh, uh, the sympathy for the devil is is in every movie that sympathy for the devil has been in the last ten years. Just like oh lord, oof. That's that's hate, pretty, hate to see it. Yeah, hate to see it. That's right. Um, the most authentic, least authentic sports centric parts in the movie, uh, unless you've been hiding something from me, you're not a jousting expert. I'm not a jousting expert. Yeah. Um, like for most authentic, I will say, I think the jousting looked great. I don't know anything <laughs> sure. about jousting. I think it looked great. It was definitely passable to me. Did you have anything else that was like that, that stood out as authentic to you? I mean, it looks perfect to me. So I'm sure, I'm sure somebody the out there look listening majestic. is like, "Actually, that's not how it happens at all." But, but for me, like, that's exactly what I want to see when when two dudes are are jousting like that. You see, the the lances exploding and and guys getting unhorsed and stuff like that's all pretty dope. Let's even if it's not realistic, let's let it go. Okay, I think that's that's <laughs> it's only fair to me. Maybe I'm less flips it, out of the saddle. I could have maybe done with one less like whoa as he's you know tumbling out or something but but otherwise i'm i'm all for it did you have anything for least authentic just maybe just that maybe just like the the one at the end especially with with adamar when 
<laughs> you see him laying on his on his back, and then you see the the sort of flashback of how he got there, and then the second flashback of how he got there, and it's not really kind of close to the first one. Like he's not spiraling out of control like he was in the in the first little flashback uh, of of how he got there. Maybe that, but that's it. It's a, there's a very minor complaint in the grand scheme of things. So my least authentic is it has to do with that last match, but I see no scenario where the last match, like where William is at the point where he's having to go armorless strapping his, his lance onto his arm because like they know right away, like, Oh, he's tipped it. He's cheated. like right away, like a wound like that in the middle ages, like that gets infected. He's cooked. Like (laughs) there's a very realistic chance that William died like a week after this movie. But regardless, like they walk over to their, (laughs) they walk over to their new great friend, Prince Edward with that tip Lance. (laughs) And they're like, um, yo, you're look at this. And he looks at it and like, Ed, they mentioned earlier in the movie, this is something I only caught on this rewatch that, Edward called Adamar back from the war mm-hmm. because of his his band. Like he he's already on Edward's shit list. So they walk <laughs> over to him and they're like, "Hey, you know, you you already know that Adamar not a great dude. Take a look at this. Look at William's shoulder. He's he's bleeding. That wound's probably going to kill him. I don't think we should continue this match. I think it ends right there. I understand for the movie you have to you have to finish that out. William has to have his armorless moment where he he knocks out Adamar. But mm-hmm. really, I think that just ends with Adamar in the stockade for being a shit heel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it is really funny how I mean he literally can't use his arm. Like we have to strap it in. We have to strap this lance on, or he's not going to be able to hold it up. And then as soon as, and again, I'm not complaining about this. This is just, you know, it's the way, way, the way movies work, especially sports movies. This whole thing happens and then it ends and he's like, yeah, pumping his arm and hugging his buddies and, and jumping over the fence post to go see the girl and all this sort of stuff. And you're like, oh man, the adrenaline really is kicking in now. He's feeling good. It's, it's just- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't, there was probably one person in the crowd. Like, I think he was faking that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That was a little soccer there a bunch player-ish of, there. Yeah. Bunch of truth there's on twitter talking about <laughs> yes william yeah. thatcher's like right. fa- it'd be like a shilling's bloody sock <laughs> yes yeah he definitely got steroid tested as soon as the match was over too so. oh oh yeah Ed- edward would like edward kissed his <laughs> wife or whatever and then was like hey man we need to need to see you in the in the list bathrooms because <laughs> right. right. we we got we might have a problem here let's let's get into what worked about this one uh you know we've gone over a lot there there's a lot that makes this one watchable what what haven't we talked about yet that that really sticks out for you is something that worked about this one. Uh, jousting is cool. I mean, it's, it's super it's, cool. Should be pretty easy to base a movie around jousting and make it at least like a B minus type movie. I think it's it's a it doesn't get done a whole lot, so it's not totally played out. I think and um, and that's the again we kind of said I don't know if it's realistic or not. It doesn't really matter to me. It looked really good. It looked really realistic. It looked like they were actually jousting and. Um, that's done pretty well, especially for, for 2001. It's not like the, the height of effects, um, that as we have known it over the last 20 years, but, uh, so yeah, I think that that's really cool. And then you just, you, you mentioned at the top, it's, you got a great cast. This is, I mean, you got Heath Ledger who won an Oscar, was nominated for another and would have, I think would, was, was certainly far from his prime when he, when he passed away. So who even knows what, what you would end up with, um, Paul Bettany's great in this, as we've mentioned a thousand times. Mark Addy's had a really good career post this movie. Uh, Alan Tudyk is one of the the more 
revered character actors in Hollywood at this point. Incredible. I mean, Just incredible yeah, in so many things. For sure. So, I mean, they, they did Steve a great the job. Steve the Pirate three yeah. years after this. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. And then Rufus Sewell is, is a great, great villain. I mean, he just has, he looks the part. It doesn't really matter if he's a great actor or not. I don't know if he is. I'm not here to pass judgment one way or the other because he, he fits the part really well, right? Like he, he has, he has the look, he's got that sneer going. He, he seems, he's like a, he's an oddly charismatic guy. He's not like a great looking dude, but he has that kind of, I don't know, slithery charisma to him and stuff. So he's, he's perfect for that stuff. And, and it, you can tell he's both trying to steal your girl and might be able to steal your girl. Like uh-huh, he's just yeah, like sure. scummy, smarmy enough that he might be able to right, pull it off. Right. But yeah. And I this mean, is like cast for, for Shane and, uh, Sussman, excuse me. So, so man, I always screw that up. Um, <laughs> I don't know that things have that her career has gone quite the way that that maybe she she thought we thought it was going at that point. But but this is kind of she's very good in this and she fits that part really well, too. This is this is apex for her, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like this or 40 days or 40 nights. Yeah. Which like it's a movie you can kind of take or leave. Sure. Sure. She had she was on Wayward Pines, um, which was really good for one season and then and just wasn't meant to be two seasons. She's I'm looking now. She's on Sleepy Hollow. I don't I don't remember if I watched when she was on that or not so i mean like again it's like there's several people here that's like they're not great actors but you don't have to be a great actor if you're cast appropriately and you're sort of surrounded or or at least you're 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 sort of being held up by a couple of of great actors or very good actors and you've got that here you've got that with, with ledger and bettany and and even Tudyke. i mean this is certainly this is not like on on uh, alan Tudyke's mount rushmore you know it's not and no, it's not no like way. he's being asked to do a ton um, but he's, he's always fun. He's always good. And I just imagine that his, his level of, of excellence just in general kind of permeates the, the, the set. I, I, maybe I'm completely imagining things, but I think he's a, he's a floor raiser if you want to use a sports term for that. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you can have, when you can have him and Mark Addy in the side roles they're in, in this mm-hmm. movie, they're not asked to shoulder any of the load. They're exactly. Just, like, yeah. They're just asked to be just to kind of be there and and knock out what they can. And it's really, really good. I mean, you get to Betty though. Like he is, <laughs> he's both throwing a hundred and driving 200 miles an hour. It's like <laughs> all of his intros are like, they handed him the keys to Ferrari and said, just floor it, man. Just go, <laughs> yeah. just go. Yes. And he's having fun again. Just try this every once in a while. Just try it out. I don't know. Maybe, maybe throw a fun role in there, but, uh, you know, that's, I'm not, it charge, seems so. it's like you said, like he always seems like he's in pain on screen and everything he says is so measured. Whereas mm. this one, he's going like a thousand miles a minute. Like when Ulrich springs him from the grasp of those priests, like he's naked, he's got his gambling problem. Like at, while he's putting his shirt on, he's like talking, he's like making excuses for his gambling problem or why, why he lied or whatever. And he just rolls right into an intro when he's heading into the sword. Like, split second he's he's on i i don't i just wish we got more of this i think it's probably why i like this movie so much is like there's not this great paul bettany catalog to go back on because like the next paul bettany movie i'd go to is is master and commander and he's so i mean he's excellent but he's so he's so short and measured and thoughtful and like this guy's just out of his mind and it's it's really refreshing yeah absolutely absolutely and then, um, it, you know, we've touched on it, but the, just 
the decision they made to go modern with this. And it, I mean, it's not just the music. Like they incorporate the fan cheers, the vendors, the Nike logo on his uh, on his <laughs> armor. Like I I dug all of that. I hate the Nike one. That's the only part. Where really? I I think it's it's two it's on the nose. One too far. It's one too far. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, Fair. And Fair. I did at the time and then, you know, you kind of forget about it because it's not like it's a huge moment or anything, but probably every time I've watched this movie, which is in the dozens at this point, you know, um, I probably every time I kind of forget about it. And then that moment comes up and I'm like, Ugh, and I, I, you know, roll my eyes to myself. But but otherwise, I think it all works. That's like the one step too far for me. You know, one thing we haven't we haven't actually talked about that much is is Ledger's performance. We've been mostly talking about Bettany and kind of everyone else. But Ledger is like, I think he's like 20 when this is filmed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he and he's asked to carry it, and like be a believable 1300 jouster. He's got to be confident. He's got to be ambitious, but still likable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, his face when he's... That, my favorite moment of his is when... Um, when Jocelyn's like assistant or whatever comes and tells him that she now wants him to win the tournament, his <laughs> face just says everything. <laughs> it yeah. just says everything about dating. For sure. <laughs> yeah. No, I totally agree. He's he's really, really good. And it is a it's a true indicator of where he he ended up. Like if if uh if no one said uh yeah I, I cast him I cast Heath Ledger in uh in The Dark Knight because of because of watching a Knight's Tale, you're like, uh yeah, sure, I get that. Totally. No no same with same with Ang Lee with Brokeback Mountain. I mean he this is not a movie that is an the it's not a movie that, that you take to show off your acting chops. It's not something that you you think going in like, oh yeah, this is really gonna give me an opportunity to to spread my wings and show my range and all that sort of stuff. But I I think it's it's kind of low key important to where his career went from here um, to go f- to do this and and ten things I hate about you basically in back to back years because um, later this year he had Monsters Ball which I hate I think it's one of the worst like Oscar winning movies of all time it's just, just I've watched really it once movie. and I'll never watch it again it's just a complete oh, yeah. bummer yeah it's 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 like the the height and the epitome of if the movie's depressing, then it must be good, right? Like, and and I, I I can't stand that that bit and that trope. But it's it's also I just think it's just a really poorly made movie. Um, but he got cast in that movie, and that was not a role that it, it's. There were a lot of people that would have liked to have had that role, and then you go from that, and then, you know the next couple of years were were okay. The Four Feathers is like a movie that that I don't know that it. it I've seen that once or twice. I don't. It, it, I don't think it necessarily works, but it's a movie that you say, "Oh, absolutely, you take that role." Like that could be a a showcase performance for you. And then, and you know, and then lo and behold, a couple of years later, he's in Brokeback Mountain. And he's getting Oscar nominations and stuff. And it's it's should have been off to the races. And unfortunately, yeah, I mean, it, didn't go it, that way. it became pretty clear right after this that he's going for for good role. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, his goal was to go for good roles. It right. wasn't to be in blockbusters. Mm-hmm. Like, the Brothers Grimm right. didn't work, but that's a really it's a really interesting theory. The the thing about Brothers Grimm that I'll always be thankful for is Brothers Grimm is the reason that we got Scotty doesn't know <laughs> is the reason we got Matt Damon. Sure, sure. <laughs> so we, we should always uh, we should always be appreciative. Um, one thing in this movie that I get Adamar's jailhouse visit confused with Gladiator. Mm. I always expect him to stab William. Mm-hmm. 
like Joaquin stabs Russell Crowe in Gladiator. Sure. It, it always catches me off guard. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. There's some real similarities between those two, especially knowing now what you, you know, eventually what you'll see with Adam R with the, with the Lance, with the, the cheating Lance. True. True. Um, for what bat, didn't work, will, but <laughs> the cork, the corked bat of jousting, <laughs> uh, for what didn't work, what did, what for you, you've mentioned, uh, the, the boys are back in town Oof, yeah. and, and the Nike logo. Did you have anything else that didn't work? Yeah, I, I kind of said, but it's just, it's, it's too long. Two hours and 15 minutes for a movie like this is, is at least 15 minutes too long, maybe 30 or more. I mean, it's a movie. If, if I, honestly last night when i when i queued up and again i've seen this movie a dozen or 20 times but still when i queued up i was like what two hours and 15 minutes what's happening and you just kind of have to like all right this is like a really long movie for for what it is it doesn't feel like a movie that should be this long so i don't know exactly where i would i would cut i think it'd be more just shaving some of the scenes than it would just outright outright cutting them but you know i'm I love a good romance and, and uh, a rom-com and, and uh, when that's done really well, I, I really dig it. I think it's probably one of the weaker aspects of, of this movie and I'm not saying you should cut the entire love story by any means. That's not my point, but we could probably take five minutes off of that, I would say, somewhere in there. Just kind of... Five minutes off of that bit. isn't going to kill it because it's not <laughs> something that's carrying this movie anyways. Right. Exactly. Exactly. You know where that's going to end up. And, and I, you know, I guess you could make the same case say, well, you know, he's going to, he's going to fight Adamar and, and defeat him or it's going to be a Rocky thing. It's going one way or the other, but there is that. Much. So, I mean, you kind of know where the love story's going. So I would have been okay with, uh, Hey, we, we got to get this under two hours. Okay. Well, where do we start? Well, let's, let's start there maybe a little bit. Let's, let's just, let's take a little bit off. So I've got some questions about Sir Ector dying. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> he started smelling bad enough that they're trading <laughs> off plugging their noses, but they they're like, oh, he's dead. Like, did you not go get someone? I <laughs> like, know. You, what's you know, going funniest, on? The funniest thing to me about that is when you get that flashback scene, seems like a pretty competent guy. So what happened, man? Like, how did we? I mean, I know it's a, I don't know, a 10 year span or 12 years or whatever, but that's, that's a pretty, it's a pretty tough decline from where we were when we see him in the flashback. I mean, he doesn't seem like the nicest dude in the world, but he also doesn't seem like he's literally just going to die from drinking, I guess. I mean, it's, it's a, it's kind of weird. It's, it's, he, re and they really just like, well, sucks to suck. See you later. Oh, there was <laughs> no, I mean, cause yeah, when you first, when you meet him in the flashback, he's like low key, good with kids, seems like a generally mm -hmm. nice dude. And at that point, their relationship is such that Watt feels comfortable just completely desecrating his body with kicks <laughs> because he's died right. instead of feeling any sort of remorse about him passing away. And like, wouldn't he have had a crew looking for him? Like, would wouldn't think, there have man, been yeah. any family that's like, hey, so uh, Sir Ector didn't come home after that last mm -hmm. tournament. He's got three squires that look like this. One of them has flaming red hair. Should not be hard to pick out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There may be some questions that have to be answered um, after all this is over, I would say, uh, if, if uh, for, for William and, and company. Uh, yeah. But maybe he's just a mean drunk. I don't know. Because he, he seems like a cool guy, an OK guy, at least. And then. He's got he a nice really good tee. Like, so. like he's he's well shaven, which is tough in that era. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um I've got another when um the the scene where 
they they figure out that it's actually Prince Edward who's jousting, and William, you know, f- decides to joust him anyways, which which really pays off in the long run. Edward takes off his helmet, and everyone in the crowd is like, oh, like, oh, it's Prince Edward, who we've definitely never ever seen in person. <laughs> like, like he's got this famous face that just does not exist in thirteen hundred. Yeah, yeah, no question. That's a that is that is maybe that's probably more anachronistic than the soundtrack. I would say. <laughs> the last like question I have, the last thing that. Maybe it maybe it does work. I just don't understand. How exactly does he win the tournament after doing nothing but losing for an entire day? <laughs> I think it's got to be like some kind of round-robin points system or something. Maybe it's like group play, like the World Cup. I don't, I don't know. It's... I'm, I'm also not sure. I mean, I, you know, I run youth sports for a living, so never... I don't know that I've ever run a tournament where someone could lose, I don't know, eight times and still be still be in the tournament but uh but we we're not we're not we've established we're not experts on on the 1300s and and jousting so maybe this that's is very true. common that's true we should should have brought it <laughs> we we should have called in the experts um the the kevin costner freddie prince jr awards for best and worst on-screen athlete just kind of like we just said i don't heath ledger looks the part i oh, guess yeah. i'm sure yeah. his stunt doubles doing the work a lot of good <laughs> stunt double action in this yeah. movie yeah, Heath Ledger was like six one. He's pretty rugged. Yeah, I could definitely see him as a as a jouster. You cast him as a basketball player. I don't really see it. Ooh, but as a, yeah, that'd be a tough yeah, look as a jouster or maybe like a, a rugby player or something or a football player. Yeah, totally. I totally see that for sure. Yeah, I could see it. Okay, Lenny Harris pinch hitter award for best supporting character, and this is going to be very contingent on who you consider. There's, I will say, there's only like one definitive main character everyone else is kind of like sharing the ball mm-hmm. sharing mm-hmm. the ball a lot um there's mark addy is rolling alan tudyk is watt your your boy james purifoy is edward <laughs> the black prince which is a sick name mm-hmm. yeah. uh shan sauceman is jocelyn and paul bettany as jeffrey chaucer if paul bettany is a supporting character is there any is there an argument for anyone else but him no, absolutely not. He's he's a runaway, a unanimous winner. Um, if if uh, if <laughs> if eighteen year old me was voting, it'd be it'd be Paul Bettany won, but a a slight a you know a side vote at least to uh, to Berenice Bayo, the uh, <laughs> uh, Shannon Sossman's maid, uh, Christina, because she she is very attractive. She's she's doing good work. Whoa, we are you guys are are sleeping on on her because we're all obsessed with Shannon Sosman. No, that's that's where we're we need to be. But I will say Paul Bettany's unreal, man. Shannon Sosman had something going on in the banquet scene with that like hairdo. She's got the red going. She's dancing to David Bowie. Like I'm like. (laughs) And another life. I'm really into this. Yeah, no question. Again, I was 18 when this movie came out. So I, I fully, I, I support what you're saying, but I definitely remember walking out of this movie um, with my friends and, and thinking I did the, her, her, uh, her maid or assistant. I don't know what the terminology is, but uh, she was, uh, she, she was her she intern was stuff as well. Yeah. It was working. Yeah. <laughs> it was the princess's intern. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, that being said, it's, but it's, but it's Benny all the way, right? It's, like, it's Paul Benny. He's, yeah, he's flames. Fantastic. The big chill. 
I got the chills four times in this movie on my 200th rewatch. (laughs) So these are these are my four nominees for what the big chill is. When William heads out to joust Edward, like I've seen that moment 200 times. I knew exactly what was coming when he like says like, fuck it, I'm going out there and like actually goes to joust. I'm like. I, I'm feeling this a little bit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, when he reunites with his dad, that's yeah. like emotional chills. Uh, <laughs> when Prince Edward just makes shit up, declares him a knight, got the chills there. <laughs> and then uh, when when Paul Bettany calls out Sir William Thatcher. But please, please, I pray you, hear it now. For I would lay rest the grace in my tongue. And speak plain. Days like these are far too rare to cheapen with heavy-handed words. And so, I'm afraid without any ado whatsoever. Excuse me, my lord. Here he is! One of your own! Born a stone's throw from this very stadium! And here before you now, the son of John Thatcher! So... Man, yeah, this is this is a better movie than it's given credit for. Uh for me it's the night scene, like the whole get him out of the stocks and make him a knight and everything. I just think that's that's such a such a cool scene. And very like definitely... if you're if, if you're listening, you're like, that's super cheesy. Totally agree. I'm with you. And that's I'm I'm all right with it. It it works. Can I throw out something for the big stupid chill? And it's sure. something I, I forgot to mention with the um, with what didn't work. I've, I've got to ask you about it. How do you feel about in the, the last joust when he's going out there <laughs> armorless when he just screams the name William? Oh, that's before? the worst part of the movie. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> I, yes. Forgot, I forgot to mention that. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. Worst, easily worst part of the movie. Five times worse than... Then the boys are back, are back in town, or or the Nike chiseling, or or any of that. Yeah, when he's screaming his own name, it's never a great look. I'll just say that's, that's that doesn't. It's not quite the same as as uh, as William Wallace screaming freedom or something, right? Like it just doesn't it doesn't quite work that way. So this one got a fifty eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes. What is fresh? Sixty. Sixty. That's what yeah. they consider fresh. Mm-hmm. I yeah. feel like that two percent is is because of that him screaming <laughs> William. Right. Yeah. Yeah, maybe a solid five percent, let's say, just based on on that one that one line. Yeah, that one word utterance for sure. Yeah, I am gonna nix the would this make a good thirty for thirty if it had occurred in real <laughs> life because uh, we we have no footage. <laughs> right, um, right. <laughs> moving on to how to improve it, and it was something we talked about this before we started recording. We don't really have anything besides like shaving off some time, but this movie partly is so good because of like the moment in time. I think that it got, I'm not saying like the moment in time, like the 1300s, I'm saying like (laughs) the actors who they got when they got them. Like you don't often get a, a Heath Ledger in this movie, someone with that kind of charisma, that talent, that that's turning up in a movie like this that mm-hmm. that just especially especially now when i feel like young actors are so easily like 
the 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 young ones are in great shit really early. Like if mm-hmm. a movie is getting made now, they're not they're not really make like this movie would be on Netflix now. I think like <laughs> would be so, made yeah. for Netflix, but you're you're getting very lucky with the Heath Ledger. I'm not really sure there's many ways to improve it besides cutting it down a little bit. Yeah, I think that's that's where I would stand. I I I like I said previously, you could cut it down some um because it's yeah i'm with you the cast is really good it's it's pretty well paced there's some moments that that drag here and there but unless you're going to completely re sort of i don't know recast the movie in terms of its tone or something like that then which i wouldn't do i think the tone works really well you could probably this is probably one of those situations Kyle, where you could you could probably bump up that you could have kind of goose that rotten tomato score by making it more by changing the tone a little bit making it more serious and we wouldn't be talking about it right now. Does that make sense? Like it's, it's yeah, for it's, sure. It's not quite like a cult type movie, but I think in order for for people in in our generations to really dig this movie and be talking about it almost 20 years later, it's it probably needed to be exactly as it is. And and maybe it would have been better received in 2001 if it was a little more serious and and it wasn't, you know, so based on anachronisms and stuff like that, but but I don't know that it would have stood what, however this has stood the test of time, I don't know that it would have done that in that way. Kind of rolling that into before more restore, rather see a prequel, sequel, or remake. I feel like if you tried, you would try to remake this one and kind of catch this sort of lightning in a bottle again. Mm-hmm. It is very much a low reward, high risk. I see it. It would be very tough to try to recreate this with the same kind of capable cast because you got these character actors in in this moment and then you have this generational talent that you cast as mm-hmm. the lead mm-hmm. and i i just i don't see i i think a i think a remake of this movie would fall flat on its face no matter how you did it i agree yeah um i kind of said if if i'm presented with one of these three options i guess it's it's i would prefer a remake to the other but it's because the sequel is impossible you obviously because we we know where heath ledger what's has happened there and and the character William prequel, died a week later anyways yeah exactly and if <laughs> you do it as a prequel then <laughs> then you're <laughs> it's just sir actor drinking himself you know? to death yeah <laughs> <laughs> right right well he was 33 he lived a good life um yeah it's it's uh it's it's it would be really tough to do any of those so if you gave me the option you see you know put a gun in my you, you can't just opt out of this and say none thank you um if i have to do one of the three i'd probably do a remake but but I don't have high hopes for it, I guess. Yeah, I would, if it was a remake, I wouldn't want to see a serious remake. I would even maybe lean more into it being super modern. Like almost get super meta with it, with how how like modern era you make it. Mm, sure, yeah. Yeah, it'd be tough, to, it'd be really tough to pull it off and do it because this is already, I would say that this would be kind of the, the way that the tone of this movie as it is, is kind of how you would do a remake if, if you remade this movie, but you would assume that the previous movie had been of a more serious tone. That's um, a really good point. So it's, it's, t- <laughs> it's kind of tough to out silly this one, right? Without it becoming stupid and ridiculous and not, not as much fun as it is just like, okay, we get it. It's, it's yeah. Okay. You're playing queen now. Awesome. You know what I mean? It's, 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 it already ventures close to that territory, and so to to try to outdo it might end up being really tough. I mean, it it is really fun 
we get to watch it on Netflix now as much as we want, which is great news. <laughs> uh, Brian, thanks so much for joining the pod, talking okay. this one with me. Tell the folks again where they can follow you, where they can check out your podcast. Absolutely. You, uh, my, my shows are Mad About Movies and Spread the Floor. Uh, you can find those those podcasts on pretty much any platform that you listen to podcasts on. Um, we are on Twitter at Mad About Movies and Spread Floor NBA because somebody has spread the floor and hasn't used it in eight years. That's super fun. Um, you can catch Them me on and the, Twitter. Uh, the guy who has big screen sports are probably like hanging out. Today. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It drives me nuts. Um, but you can catch me on Twitter at, uh, at Beagle 12 and you can find my writing at, uh, as well. Brian, you are always welcome back on this podcast, and if you enjoyed this episode of Big Screen Sports, please remember to subscribe, rate, review. Uh, you guys know the drill. New episodes of Big Screen Sports drop every Monday. Also, if you're a baseball fan, check out my interview series from Phenom to the Farm, presented by Baseball America. That comes at you every other Tuesday. And until then, we'll catch you next Monday. Monday. Thanks for listening. Big Screen Sports is presented by BetOnline.ag. Sports are coming back, sports are back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball, back in action. No better place to start than wagering with our exclusive partners, BetOnline. Check out all the odds, features, and props to bet on, all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, BetOnline sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champ Robert Ory. See what they had to say on what it'll be like playing without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember, use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.